Mr. Robot Season 4, Episode 8. 408 request timeout is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler, joined here by Antonio Mazzaro. Uh, and we are we're gonna try and keep it hundred uh throughout this podcast, even though nobody is uh around anymore to to hold us to that standard, Antonio. Yeah, sorry for the timeout, Josh. We'll try to keep it 100, but uh, no Janice to hold us to that standard, as you're saying. Uh, she is 99% sure, uh, and we'll see what happens to Janice when you're 99% sure of something. Oh, my God. Okay, so we're talking about 408 request timeout. We are one week removed from a very difficult episode of Mr. Robot, where there was so much to talk about that we talked about it over the course of two podcasts. Here we are with 408 request timeout. We're not balking from uh, the reveals of 407 proxy authentication required. Everything that happened there, it would seem, uh, still holds. And this episode is dealing in a lot of ways with Elliot struggling with the fallout from from those revelations. But I think that the, the actual content of the episode, mercifully for us, Antonio, given that we are entering Thanksgiving week and we have some holiday shenanigans to do in our respective lives, I don't think that we're going to need to do two Mr. Robot podcasts this week. We needed a timeout. Yes. So it yes. Is, it is it's appreciated. It's appreciated. Yeah. yeah. It's appreciated. I'm, I am happy that Elliot took a breath, uh, ultimately, that, that we talked earlier this season after the episode where he runs throughout the city and falls down uh, hills. Wife fell off a cliff. He goes nuts uh, and is limping around and hit by a car. And then the next episode, he doesn't really show any signs of that. This emotional reveal is definitely hit by a car level. It's life-changing level. For him to just get right back on the horse wouldn't have felt authentic to this reveal. I don't think it would have done it any justice. So the time that Elliot spent this episode just doing very little uh, and thinking about himself, talking to Krista, going to the Queen's Museum, and then ultimately that fantastic conversation with Mr. Robot at the end of the episode, I think was definitely necessary, uh, especially in light of how significant that reveal was. I guess if I have a, a bone to pick uh it's been a while since uh, we we talked about we talked about the canadian new york of it all uh with with elliot running from hell's kitchen to central park in like three minutes um so he's in the village you assume right when he's uh i think chris's chris's apartment is somewhere village-ish I don't know exactly where she is, but wherever she is, for Elliot to get from there to whatever the local police station was, to then get to the Queens Museum, which is fairly deep into Queens. You're talking like the Flushing area. Uh, and then you're going to have to go back into Manhattan to get to, to F Society to, or to go to, uh, to All Safe to continue doing the work to prep for the big Deus Group meeting later that night. Like, at what, what time is it? At this point, like how much time has passed? I feel like like, (laughs) for the fact that like he's on no sleep, he's gotten hit by by vehicles. He's fallen down hills. He's been kidnapped. He had to bring somebody basically back to life. He got kidnapped. He found out this horrible, traumatic thing from his childhood. And he gets to go all the way to Queens 
and he goes all the way back to all safe. And this is all still Christmas Day. Maybe White Rose's machine has already worked. Maybe (laughs) maybe time is no longer uh, a true construct in the world of Mr. Robot. I'm going to forgive it because the show is so great and the acting is so great and where we are in the story is so compelling and the craft behind it is so great. Uh, But Jack Bauer is is very upset right now with how easy uh, Elliot is able to move around in the space of a single day. Like Jack Bauer is only dreaming about this capability. I think you're forgetting, Josh, how wonderfully on time and reliable the New York City metro system is. I suppose is. that's sure right, especially on a holiday, on yeah. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problems at all. It, it is. Uh, it is. It's funny because I, in this episode, I decided to see how much time we spent on screen after DDP is stabbed because Janice says she has about 15 minutes, maybe more because she's a fighter. Uh, and if she pulls it out, it will supercharge the process. So I said every, every second after she stabbed, I had a little timer on my phone cause I'm a true nerd and I wanted to see how much time was spent on screen in those scenes with DDP with a knife in her chest. And sure enough, it was really only about 12 or 13 minutes uh, before she pulls the knife out. So I think DDP will live. That's another matter. But what I'm saying is, Every second in that scene seemed accounted for from stabbing to when they showed up. I don't think we were losing a lot of time there. And yet it is so totally unclear how much time is passing in Elliot's scenes. Uh, as you point out, it takes some time to get to the Queens Museum. Uh, I was thinking on, in terms of that train, can he even just, is that a train he can take straight from that precinct to the, the Queens Museum? I don't even know. I was going to ask you that. So if he doesn't do that, he's changing trains, he's waiting, then he's getting back to Allsafe. I don't know how all that works. Um, and he's, he's, the meeting's in an hour. So that means he's going to have to get to the meeting. Uh, this is all very just hard to keep track of. At a certain of. point, you just telecommute, right? Like you don't even go back to Allsafe. <laughs> you, you, you post up at the Queens Museum like, you know, what, I'm just going to commute directly from the Queens Museum to wherever I got to be for the day's group. I don't need to go back to all safe. He's got to go back to all safe so Darlene can find him. I guess give him a hug. True. That's true. I think that's, that's what true. I'm expecting. to That's happen. true. All right. So let's let's talk more seriously about what goes on in this episode. We're really tracking two main storylines this week. There's everything that's going on with Elliot as he's dealing with the aftershocks of the reveal about his father. Uh, and he follows himself essentially to the Queens Museum um, to, to gain some some perspective on how he defended himself when he was younger. Uh, he finds out that he had hid his his father's key to his bedroom um, in the Queen's Museum in like the, uh, uh, the is the room of requirement of the of the Queen's <laughs> Museum I believe that yeah, is yeah something like that yeah definitely where when it needs when it needs to be there it will be and you whatever you need it to be it will be exactly so we, we follow that storyline and eventually what it leads us to is uh, and I think you and I must have both been surprised by this uh, that just one episode after proxy authentication required uh, Elliot and Mr robot not only back in the same room together but both of them kind of like seeking comfort with one another of like how could this have happened to us like and both of them like both of them being so upset like mr robot being so upset that he wasn't able to do his job and protect elliot from this truth anymore and elliot being so upset that all of this had happened but being so grateful for mr robot for existing to help him from the truth for all of this time i thought that final scene of the episode was was really really touching i'm looking forward to talking all of that through uh then there was the darlene and dom stuff 
stuff and uh, getting the the follow up on everything that happened now that Janice had had promised that things are going to become very very unpleasant. Things do become very very unpleasant. Uh, but uh, Chekhov's knife this week becomes Chekhov's knife in your lung uh, that uh, that that Dom is able to pull out from her own chest and take out the entire Dark Army with an assist from the Irishman. No, not Bobby D. Uh, and she's able to to get her family out of Dodge, and she's able to put a bullet in Janice's head, uh, and that whole storyline seems to to have reached something of a conclusion. So overall, with those two tracks in mind, just broader picture, what did you think of 408 Request Timeout? I thought, like I said earlier, it was necessary for Elliot, for sure. I thought the DDP, the Dom and Darlene storyline was harrowing for sure, but also very satisfying because it's what we've been hoping for, uh, for the end for Janice, uh, with Dom and having that bullet in her head. No, she will not be performing taxidermy on any characters. Uh, but I think this was a very satisfying ending for that face off that's been brewing throughout the whole season. Uh, and the alien and robot stuff at the end was really phenomenal. The key stuff I thought was very good for Elliot, uh, a great moment for himself to, to apologize. He has that moment where he's shouting and apologizing to himself, uh, and to his younger self. And then to realize, I think that when he is now uncovering these repressed memories, he can also uncover memories that show that he did try to fight back, that he did try to do things, that he shouldn't blame himself for what's happening. I think those are all very important. I'm less interested in how the key ties into the opiate dreams of season one, uh, even though there I are think definite some connections there. Listening to this may not even know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. I, I know when some you people definitely bring, will definitely for sure, but there's definitely people who 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 won't. And even when you brought it up with me offline, I was like, oh yeah, I uh, forgot about that. So can you reset that for people just in case, like the significance of the of the symbolism of the key was lost on them? Sure, the key is a thing that people have been tracking really since uh, the early parts of season one in uh, the Damon's episode uh, where Elliot is going off opiates uh, and they're on their way to Steel Mountain. And they go into a hotel room and Romero and Mobley leave him, but Mr. Robot won't leave him. And then Elliot goes into this dream sequence about uh, going and copping uh, some dope, uh, shooting up some heroin in a trap house and having people shoot people in the house and then including Elliot. And then there's this extended sequence with Elliot and Angela. Uh, first, Cordy talks to Elliot. Uh, move to a goddamn window. That's that scene. Uh, and then Elliot and Angela are eating in like a restaurant that also has cubicles. Um, and Angela's eating what appears to be QWERTY. And Elliot finds the, the key there. Mr. Robot at one point with the mask on gives Elliot the key. Elliot pulling the key out at the restaurant uh, makes Angela think he's proposing. Angela hands him back the key uh, and says, you're not ready for this. Uh, you were just born 30 minutes ago. That whole sequence, which also includes Elliot um, looking at his childhood home and seeing a 404 error not there, and then encountering what is supposedly young Darlene, um, the who is your monster scene. All That whole sequence, uh, the key is present throughout that sequence. Um, it is not ever really linked to Elliot's bedroom in that way. Um, this, I think, maybe people might have been speculating about, but um, that's ultimately what is revealed to be in this episode for sure. Uh, and so the, 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 the moment where Elliot is able to come to this realization with his young self that that's what the key represents is definitely significant to me. I'm less interested in the original sequence uh, because I, I, it feels a little retconny to me. Uh, I don't feel like the molestation storyline is retconny. Like that's not a storyline. That's who Elliot is. And that has been in the show since the beginning. 
I'm not sure that the key was always going to be the bedroom key. I think that this uh, episode made it so, uh, but also conveniently tied it into uh, what was, I think, at the time, probably sort of open-ended with that key. But I'm sure people will disagree with me, and that's fine. Yeah, I think for me, it it didn't register in that way. I I guess I haven't been... I, I, my, my memory of, uh, the opioid hallucination is just not, is not so vivid that, like, there are aspects of it that I'm really, really tracking as we're settling the end game here on Mr. Robot. So I didn't connect the key to that scene. I think because it's the, it's the scene that I, I like less than, than you do. And, and for me, what, what the Damon's sequence to you is what this sequence is to me, the land of Eucadelia stuff. Yes. Uh, is whenever I think of a key on Mr. Robot, I think of Angela saying, the key was in my fist my fist was in my pocket like that she had the key the whole time so that's right. always just like where my head goes when i see a key on on mr robot um and and since that wasn't really on my mind since that didn't really fully fit for me other than this idea of you had the key the whole time right like you had the key the entire time you were fighting back you just didn't realize it you didn't know it you forgot that it was in your pocket um like for for elliot in this moment what we come to find out is that he he was fighting back when he was a kid. Like he like don't be so hard on yourself. You you were you were doing whatever you could, even if you weren't. Like don't be so hard on yourself. But like I think that that's a, an important moment for him to realize that he even even back then he was trying to to fight against this monster. He was trying to 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 fight back against somebody who was doing such damage, so much wrong. Um, that I that I appreciated the key from that perspective in terms of what it represents for Elliot. But I didn't spend too much time meditating on how it connected back to the big dream sequence, the big like drug sequence from uh, the very start of the series. One of the things though is as we are kind of like reflecting on the totality of Mr. Robot in the light of the reveal that Edward Alderson sexually abused Elliot when he was a child, uh, and you think back to some of the scenes with Edward or just other scenes throughout Mr. Robot of how that recolors so much and how you can see how this was baked into the premise from very early, from the very first scene, you can see how this is part of the story. Um, is there is there no aspect of that for you with the key that that allows the possibility that Sam Esmail knew that this was going to connect in this way eventually later on down the line? Sure, I'm not going to say that I know what Sam Esmail did or didn't know. Of course, I'm not going to say that. I, it just doesn't land that way for me. The the whole opiate sequence lands for me the way Land of Icadelia lands for you, which is in in some ways uh, weirdness for weirdness's sake. Right, I don't think right. every second of it uh, is necessarily planned to to connect in some deeper way. Uh, some of it, I think, was just for show, like uh, the the. Trap house shoot up, uh, is not ultimately something that, oh, well, that has some deeper meaning. And some of the stuff that was more. We kind of had a trap house shoot up this week. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, that's true. Uh, it was, uh, considering what, uh, Dar- what Angela's apartment has become, that, that isn't, uh, far from the truth. But ultimately, I, I think some of the things that were in there were just in there to be a little interesting or unusual. Like Cordy talking, people have read that to be, oh, that's one of Elliot's alters. And I ranted about that last week. Uh, just because a fish talked to Elliot at one point doesn't mean that it's Elliot's alter. Uh, it could just mean that Elliot hallucinated because he was going through withdrawals or whatever the actual situation was. We don't even know at this point. Uh, I just think some of it was in there just to be unusual and odd uh, and create a sense of mystery, create a sense of 
confusion, uh, which it does a very good job of in the moment in that first season. Uh, and it's fine to link something like this back there uh, because people had been speculating about or wondering it about. Uh, I'm just I'm not I, I'm not of the opinion that this was something that was plotted, uh, that when the key was introduced, then it was always going to be the bedroom key. Uh, I, I guess what I would say is if that were the case, I, I don't understand why it hasn't been more significant. I don't understand why we're only just now seeing the Queen's Museum stuff. Seeing it all at once makes me feel like, okay, yeah, this is a thing where they decided this at the end of four season, and they found a, a, a good way to link it back. That's a good answer for the key. Uh, but maybe not. Uh, maybe houses in New York have keys exactly like that. And this has always been the key. Uh, and when Angela thinks it's a wedding ring, um, there is some deeper meaning there that we're not getting at. I just think it was one of those mystery box type things that at the time they weren't sure what it was going to be. And then they found out a very good way to bring it back. How did you feel just kind of generally about how this episode handled the aftermath of 407? It's just such a difficult episode to follow that I feel like no matter what we were going to get into with 408, it was going to be very hard for this episode to to quite measure up as seismically as 407. And frankly, like if it did... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would have been watchable. I, would, I don't know if I would have been able to yeah. handle it. So, like, I think you're a break. you you almost need like an episode of Mr. Robot that is going to rate as relatively forgettable. You know what I mean? Like the last time we had a series of episodes that were as like punch to the face, punch to the face, punch to the face as that would be. I think like maybe mid season three would be would be somewhat comparable, like from the unbroken shot episode when stage two is beginning to be activated to the implementation of stage two, followed by the death of Trenton and Mobley. Um, like that would maybe track if we had to go uh, directly from last week's episode to another episode with like a huge, gigantic reveal or something that just completely radically altered the way that we saw the show. Instead, what we get this week is a fairly internal story for Elliot having to grapple with what's happened to him and how to move forward and having no easy answer by the end of the episode. Right. Um, and, you know, you, you aside from that, have it's an ugly win, but it's it's a win uh, for for Dom and Darlene who are able to get Janice off of their backs. Um, and so like there's at least like some element of triumph in this episode, which I feel like is very important tonally, given where we just came from and very likely given where we're about to go. Um, I think just like tonally, this was probably the exact type of episode we needed. Something that's like mildly forgettable uh, in the grand we scheme. We needed of a timeout. Yeah. yeah, we needed a timeout. And I think more than us needing it, it, as I said earlier, it really does the honest job of paying respect to the reveal, paying respect to Elliot uncovering this, because Elliot starts the episode completely catatonic, staring into a fire, uh, seeing him his younger version himself standing in front of it. Krista has to drag him out of that house and throw him into a cab. Without Krista there, uh, he's likely to be killed uh, by Javi and Peanuts when they come back into the room, because I don't think he would have been able to leave. Uh, and then the scene in front of the police station with Krista is very meaningful as well. Um, he has a little bit of a breakdown, wants to know what people like him, how they handle this. And uh, I always thought it was special. Like, this is these are the thoughts that are in his head throughout the episode. And it makes total sense that those are the thoughts that would be in his head. Uh, I thought every second that Elliot was on screen mattered and counted. And yet, ultimately, as you say, from a plot standpoint, from like, are, are we checking off boxes 
remember the X episode, uh, it is one of the more forgettable episodes in that regard. Yes, the stuff with Dom uh, and Darlene is pretty significant uh, and a pretty good moment and a great reveal. Um, but ultimately, the stuff with Elliot is more contemplative, and that's good. We need that. And as I say, the story deserves it. Uh, so I think it was perfect to have this. And then, again, another representation of uh, we laugh about the Canadian New York of it all, but another representation of if you're only going to do uh, a few days worth of actual time in the course of a season, you're going to get these episodes that are more poetic, that are more significant from a theme standpoint and less from a narrative standpoint. Uh, and I think it was very important that Elliot deal with what he's dealing with. And I think ultimately very powerful that we ended the episode having no real clarity. I think it would have been a little bit trite to have it by the end of the episode that he'd wrapped it all up because he went and found the key and because he had one conversation with Mr. Robot, uh, it was hunky-dory and he was all back to normal and good to go. I really like the choice the episode, uh, the construction of the episode makes by making it so that by the end of the episode, he's essentially saying, I can't do anything. I can't go on. Um, he may have had the conversation with Krista. He may have found the key. He may have had the conversation with Mr. Robot. But at the end of it, where he's left with is, I, I can't do it. I can't go on. Uh, and I think that's significant. I think it's it's really honest and powerful. So I'm, I'm satisfied with the episode for sure, uh, even if it maybe strikes some as a little less memorable. What do we do? We do we feel like it was something that I was wondering the entire time I was watching it. Like, is is the kid that he's tracking? Is the young version of himself? Is that is that not Mister Robot? Is that is that Mister Robot pre- presenting in a different form? Is that is that a, a side of Elliot that he hasn't engaged in a long time? Um, is that just as simple as that's the that's the young version of himself that's spinning around in the chair over and over again inside of his head, who's now leaking out into his reality? Like, are these these aspects of himself that have been locked so tight in a boardroom in his mind for so long now starting to spill out into the cold light of day? Like, how did you read all of that? It, especially as we're like still trying to parse out. Who is the other one? What is the other one? Is there another one? How many other ones are there? Uh, you know, like, where did that land for, for you having Elliot interact with the younger version of himself? I think it was one of the last things you said, ultimately, about how it, it's more seemingly like uh, tripping out of a boardroom. Uh, and this is the sort of thing that is now unlockable uh, now that he has done what he's done. Um, it, it, Mr. Robot says in the episode at one point, I suppress the memories that would be uncomfortable for you. Like I kept those away and I only showed you, I only let you remember um, the things where before it happened before when he was your friend, when it was nice. Uh, and so that is sort of an honest uh, or an, uh, an openly expressed version of uh, Elliot, probably what we saw on the screen, why we were having a hard time uh, comporting what was happening with seeming uh, nice moments with Mr. Alderson from the monster that we know he ultimately was. Uh, how do we do that? Well, it's because Mr. Robot, the show and the character was only showing us and Elliot uh, the moments that were comfortable. Uh, and I think seemingly it, it is that Elliot has not been able to 
um, deal with, uh, even on, on a young level, young Elliot has not been able to deal with this. Uh, and, and maybe Elliot himself has not thought of his childhood much and had these memories that were uncomfortable. Uh, so here we are. Uh, now we can confront, uh, young Elliot. Now we can see young Elliot on the level of actually openly discussing with his inner child, um, those moments. I, I don't see it as an altar. Um, I see it as something uncovered as a result of what's happening. Um, it, it is, there's an open question, I think, of whether, if you want to say the other one, is it the other one or is it Mr. Robot that young Elliot is talking to when he's in the basement right. uh, the first time when he's hiding the key? And they, he's saying, what do you think I'm doing? Like, I have something to do. I'm telling you this is going to be good for us. Uh, so the question is, is that Mr. Robot that he's talking to in that moment or not? I kind uh, of it viewed is, it as that was him as Mr. Robot, like talking to himself. Like, that, yeah, that was like could the, be. that this is like, I mean, because that would be something that's in character for Mr. Robot, right? Like, I'm taking the key and I'm hiding it. I'm protecting right. myself. Right. I think that's a really good read of that scene. And yet we don't know for sure, right? Like, we don't ultimately know. Um, we've seen young Elliot as well uh, talk to the altar uh, one other time, whether it was Mr. Robot or not, when he actually grabs the Mr. Robot coat uh, from a dying Edward Alderson in the movie theater at the beginning of 308. Uh, that is that is a moment that maybe that's the creation of Mr. Robot. It doesn't seem like it is because it seems like Mr. Robot was created to protect him from Edward Alderson. And by that point, Edward Alderson would have been bad already. Uh, but regardless, that is the that is the grabbing of the Mr. Robot coat. And we know that young Elliot is talking to someone else in the movie theater at that that point. Uh, so the question is, does young Elliot have multiple alters or just Mr. Robot? Uh, is there a third one? I, I don't think that it relates directly to this young version of Elliot. Uh, remember, in the if you want to get into the boardroom scene with Magda and young Elliot, they're spinning around in the chair. Um, the other chairs were available for Elliot, Mr. Robot, and the other guy. Uh, and so if it was the other guy that we're waiting for, then it wouldn't theoretically be young Elliot and it wouldn't be Magda. It would be some other guy. Uh, and maybe that's actual Elliot at this point. Like we've talked about how it could be Elliot prime. Uh, and maybe what we're waiting for now is the Elliot that isn't the Elliot that has the repressed memories, but that it is like the Elliot that has full knowledge of everything. Uh, and if that's the case, then maybe that Elliot is a person who can see things like young Elliot because he now has the memories and he's starting to unlock this stuff. Uh, and, and is there more to come on that front? Uh, I I don't know. Did you read that this was the last we're going to see of Krista in this series? I do read it that way. I don't really know why we would, uh, other than like a coda, right? Like some sort of epilogue uh, or some, you know, other like, uh, um, like some sort of like daydream type of, you know, situation like a, a an orchestral basket case uh, montage, you know, <laughs> Some, something like that, that Mr. Robot hasn't really done a ton of this season that I can think of. I can't even think of a single instance of it, really. Um, short of that, I could see Krista showing up for that, right? Like I could see, I could see Elliot embarking on some sort of like vision quest uh, that brings Krista back into the mix. But as, as far as Krista as like an active player on the board, I don't see any good reason to bring her back into the mix for the remaining time that we have on the clock. There's not a lot of it. Uh, and I loved what we got of her in this episode. I think that maybe she lets Elliot leave the police station a little too easily. <laughs> yeah, considering everything, right. 
Yeah. If you're not in a hurry at that point. You know, maybe at that point she's like, no, you you absolutely have to stay. I just killed a guy. And I killed a guy who kidnapped me because of you and all this stuff. So, like, we, we got to ride this out together, man. Uh, like, maybe, like, push on that a little bit harder. Um, but as far as the emotional relationship between the two of them and the shared trauma that they now have and the, the growing closeness between Krista and Elliot... Um, over the course of this horrible evening that they just spent together. I I really appreciated where we landed with her. I don't think that there's really any reason for us to see her again. I hope that we don't see her again in like an active context because that just means that she's in grave danger. I don't think that there's much else that she can contribute to the story at this point other than we reach the end of the line, we leap forward in time to some degree, and Elliot's back in therapy, and he's still working through everything with Krista. That would be satisfying. That would be great. But I don't want to see her outside of that or like a hallucinatory sequence uh, for the rest of the show. Well, it was certainly a fitting ending, as you're describing. But the reason I asked it is that in that fitting ending, she says, I'll call you tomorrow. Uh, because of the compressed nature of the season, it makes like ongoing Elliot therapy a little hard to see. So what you're articulating about her role probably being limited as far as the rest of the season goes does resonate with me um but that said if it if you've had this revelation like you're like you you're our Elliot and you've had this revelation and you go and do whatever you're going to do and you run to the Queen's Museum and then you have a conversation after you lift the time out you have a conversation with Mr. Robot and you're coming to some understanding with your inner child you're coming to some understanding with the person that you've created to help you be your surrogate father uh it, it stands to reason that if you're talking about ways in which Elliot could recover more uh, and could make more breakthroughs and could be guided. Uh, his shaman uh, is Krista, and that's something where, she, since she says, I'll call you tomorrow, um, at least because tomorrow is mentioned there, maybe that's just mentioned because it's a kind of caring thing, a person who had just experienced that. She wouldn't let her patient twist on the vine for days and weeks, or I'll see you next week, or I'll see you in 2016 when your you know medical plan rolls over or whatever. Um, <laughs> maybe it's just, I'll call you tomorrow like because i'm a good person but i think there's at least a possibility uh because we could learn more about elliot's past and because uh, uncovering a third personality um krista has been the one now to uncover the prison thing and to uncover the mr robot uh is created to cover up what happened with the actual edward alderson thing uh, krista has been there for those reveals so if we're talking about a possible reveal of a third personality i do think she could still play a role in that and the i'll call you tomorrow means ultimately we don't have to necessarily wait for all of that to play out. I think that is TBD. Uh, so if we do see her again, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw her again is what I'm saying. But if we don't, I do think that this was a very good ending for this this relationship. Yeah. I, I think the thing that surprised me the most about this episode was the ending. And uh, Elliot being back at All Safe uh, after commuting from the Queen's Museum. <laughs> so you don't need to litigate. <laughs> Took any. an Uber back, all right? Uh, maybe, hopefully, hopefully. Uh, although, I mean, yeah, I, I think at that time of night, it's Christmas. There's probably the traffic may be uh, not not as awful. Um, but he get he gets back to All Safe and he's working on the computer, and and then Mr. Robot shows up, uh, and. It, at first, it was it was really hard to know like what direction we were taking this in. I didn't know if it was going to suddenly become like very vengeful, or if Elliot was going to be like too traumatized to even face Mister Robot, you know, like to even be able to look him in the eye anymore because he wears the image of his father. Um, but like the contrite Mister Robot, just 
all hat in hand. Yeah, it, yeah. Literally, it was it yeah. was it was so upsetting. Uh, kept the glasses on, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, like it was just you it would. was it was upsetting. It was it was really upsetting. It was really moving. Um, you know, it, it's a sign that Elliot still isn't ready to just kind of become his own full person yet. And I think that's asking a lot from him, given everything that's going on right now. Um, but I think that the fact that he still needs Mr. Robot in his life after all of this is uh, is is really emotional and powerful. Um, and as we're left with this idea of, I don't think I can do this, I don't know if I can do this, it makes you wonder where we're going to go. We are, you know, very close to having to pull off the Deus Group heist. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I think Philip Price is not going to be appreciative of Elliot's trauma right now, given what he has on the line uh, for moving forward. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Elliot and Darlene interact the next time they see each other, uh, which you would assume would be next week. Uh, but which version of Elliot are we going to get? Like, is Elliot going to have to like take a backseat and let Mr. Robot drive for this thing for a little while? Like, are we going to get our next episode be something that's actually like fairly heavy with Christian Slater? Uh, I think is certainly a possibility. I'm really curious to see where it goes. But beyond that, I was just so surprised and really touched by the ending of the episode. I really did not walk into this one thinking that there would be... We, we, we're talking about the fact that we may never see Mr. Robot right. again. And we right. see him one episode later, and we see him in a really surprisingly touching scene. Uh, like, something that was just, like, very emotional uh, and surprising in his connection to, to Elliot in that moment. My favorite scene of the episode, for sure. And one of my favorite endings of a Mr. Robot episode, honestly. Uh, because it it was surprising. It was something unexpected, and yet it felt very honest and very true, as I was saying, uh, to the connection to everything that happened with the reveal and with Elliot uncovering those memories. Uh, it felt like a difficult thing. If anything, it felt maybe a little rushed. Uh, it really breaks my heart a little bit when Elliot says sorry for the timeout, like he's actively apologizing uh, in the situation. He just feels so guilty about his role in all of this. Uh, and it, it is he's acknowledging ultimately, listen, I I know I put you on uh, silent mode for a little while. Uh, I'm really sorry for that. Uh, and then he tries to like work his way through the the motions. We're almost good to go. Uh, you know his his voice is shaky. Can barely articulate the plan. Um, you see a close up of his hands and the keys, and he can barely type. Uh, and robot says that's not why you let me back in. You want to talk about it? Mind if I talk? And then we get that great monologue from Christian Slater uh, about everything. Um, this was never my secret to keep. You deserve better than to live in darkness for so long. I failed you too. I understand if you can't forgive me. Um, I am not your father. I never was. Uh, I I really think that it was just so really emotionally resonant and great performance by Christian Slater. Obviously, continued phenomenal work from Rami Malek. Uh, just a, a, a scene that I think was necessary and really did a good job of continuing to establish a significant impact of this reveal uh, in a way, not just on Elliot, but on the way Elliot has learned to cope, um, ultimately having created Mr. Robot as a coping mechanism and blaming himself uh, for what has has gone on. It makes sense that the Mr. Robot version of it uh, feels guilty and that Elliot may on some level feel like, OK, by creating this thing to protect myself, I didn't confront it. And because I didn't confront it, it has really knocked me over and I've never grown through it and I've never understood it. Uh, 
and that that is being articulated by Mr. Robot, Elliot's own internal guilt. Just a really fantastic uh, scene when you really sit back and think about the fact that Elliot is Mr. Robot. Elliot created Mr. Robot for this reason, and the Mr. Robot part of Elliot is now speaking up about his own uh, self-actualization, his own realizations about his own role, uh, his own uh, cognizance of what's gone on. Um, all of that, I, I think, is really powerful. I am a left a little bit, and I, this is an interesting conversation we can have. I'm left a little bit in confusion over, is that always, do you think that tracks with Mr. Robot throughout the series now? Uh, I, I think back to Mr. Robot pushing Elliot off of the, the rail in season one. And I wonder, like, how is this Mr. Robot protecting Elliot? I'm not saying there isn't an explanation for that, but a lot of the time we felt like Mr. Robot was aggressive. He was he was pushing things. He wasn't a protector. Uh, and I'm not sure now if we look at this version of Mr. Robot and say hat in hand, he's coming in and saying, I, I really just want to protect you. I love you. I care about you. It, it's It really lands with me, the emotional significance of that. From a plot standpoint, I wonder if you feel like that is true. Right. I know that we still have people who think that there's like good robot, bad robot uh, right. in the audience. Bad robot. Bad, bad robot. Yeah. And I think if like that's the way you feel about it, like there's still certainly arguments in, in favor of it. One of it being like you, you think about those examples that you just called out. Uh, how is it exactly protecting Elliot from Mr. Robot to throw Elliot off of the, the side of, uh, you know, uh, to, to like drop him down off the to pier. the beach off the pier? Yeah. Exactly. Like, is it? I fell off a cliff. Is it because? It's like pushing him towards something that's going to make him more powerful. Like, is that protection? Is that like, is he protecting him by making him a god, right? Like, is is that a misguided form of protection? Because uh, you can say, like, I am, I'm here to protect you. And that can be what you mean. And that can be very authentically your truth. But like, your actions are actually not following through on the truth and they're making something worse but that doesn't mean that your intentions aren't in the right place you know like you might just have like a very horrible idea of what it is you're trying to do and that could be what's going on with mr robot now that it's not inauthentic that he's trying to to keep elliot safe that he's trying to make elliot uh more whole he's trying to keep elliot away from the truth he's trying to distract him from looking too closely at his own life by making him focus on a much bigger picture and do something that is going to be like culturally significant, that's going to change the world, and that's going to erase all of the bad that was done to him. You know, those are those are interpretations of I'm protecting you. Um, whether or not that actually protects him, I think we would both probably side on the fact that, yeah, I don't think that that really did much. Uh, right. if, if anything, that probably made things worse. Um but intentions and fallibility don't necessarily have to line up. No, that's true. Uh, you have to consider the fact that uh, Mr. Robot was created by a person who is very much wrapped up in their own problems. So to think that Mr. Robot would be a perfect representation of that is fascinating on that level, because, of course, he wouldn't be. And, of course, then you have to wonder, like, well, is this him trying and making a mistake? Everything you're just talking about. I think the stuff in season two will be very interesting on a rewatch, uh, knowing what we now know is ultimately the show's representation of what Mr. Robot is, assuming there is no good robot, bad robot split, that we don't have some version of Mr. Robot with or without a scarf or with glasses without or with hat without whatever. It's going to be exhausting if that's yes. what we're <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I don't and really I, want I, that. I don't know that it is there, but 
I think that if if what the show is saying is ultimately Mr. Robot's role boils down to this protector role, and no, he's not always been good at it, and yes, sometimes he's been misguided in his attempts, and yes, sometimes the issue is, of course, there's a little bit of Elliot and Mr. Robot, and there's a little bit of Mr. Robot and Elliot, right? So maybe some of the times that the the bad things have gone through, uh, of course, when you watch like the skate park fail or whatever version of the Coney Island video, uh, and you see Elliot just on the rail by himself jumping off, uh, then what what you realize is that Elliot chose to make that uh, a suicide attempt. Ultimately, he chose to try to take his own life in that moment. And if that's the case, maybe it was Elliot pushing himself. Like maybe that wasn't a window moment uh, where someone was trying to protect someone. Maybe that was Elliot legitimately pushing himself because he wanted to take his own life. And that Mr. Robot part of Elliot or the Elliot part of Mr. Robot is what was ultimately prevalent there. Uh, that That's something that I think will be fascinating. As I said, if you go back and look at season two, um, when they're having their real head to head, at the beginning there in those first three or four episodes all the way up to the sitcom episode where the I will always protect you kind of stuff really boils to the surface Uh, and we have Mr. Robot showing Elliot the hospital and saying like I've I've known what's going on this whole time uh, but this is what you did to protect yourself and I want to help you with that and then their relationship is a little better from that moment on Uh, but those first three or four episodes of season two especially uh, I think will be very interesting now that we see that the show ultimately seems to be making the statement that Elliot created Mr. Robot to protect him and to give him the father that he never had. Uh, And maybe part of the problem is that Elliot has negative memories deep down of his father. So even a projection of his father is going to have some negativity in it. Uh, And maybe that's the Elliot part of Mr. Robot shining through as well. So maybe all that comes to bear. It's just, I think that that is an interesting thing to think about as we go back and watch the series um, and we think about, like, if Mr. Robot's the protector, what, what's going on in this scene then when he doesn't seem to have Elliot's best interests at heart? What's really happening here? Is this Elliot pushing through in Mr. Robot? Is there some negative force at play? Or are, are we not seeing uh, what's above us? Are we not looking up uh, and realizing what Mr. Robot's grand design here uh, is? So, speaking of yeah. which, it's nice to see uh, Terrell in the back of the cab. It was, although <laughs> I think Krista knew it was valuable to turn that off in the moment, uh, whether she knew why or not. Uh, it, Tyrell was popping up all over. No, it was uh, just ma- a classic New Yorker move. If you're a New Yorker and yeah, you get you into a taxi, that. like you know you got to mute that immediately. Otherwise, you're just going to be in hell. So how does it get unmuted is my question. Do people actually go I think, in there I think it, I think it, I think it must reset once a new fair starts. Would be it has best. to. Yeah, that's, that'd be my bet. That'd be my they bet. can do that, but, you know, they, uh, never mind. Uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> Um, Never mind. Is there anything else with the Elliot and robot stuff you want to talk about, or should we start getting into what's up with uh, Dom and DDP? Well, let's talk a little bit about the Queen's Museum, just in the context of when we've seen it in the past. We briefly mentioned last episode that Elliot Rant, you know, would run away, and this is, of course, where he would run away to. Uh, and we have established that, as we see in the previously on in this episode, uh, this is something that Elliot and Angela would do uh, when they would run away from home. They would go to this place. And we now know that uh, Elliot had some other significance that was attached to that. Uh, but this is a, this is something we've seen in the context of this series a couple of times that when we actually go see the Queen's Museum, uh, after it is later mentioned, uh, in we actually go there, I think it's in episode nine of season one when Angela and Darlene are yeah, looking right. for Elliot. Um, that is, it is interesting to think about the, the significance of this place for, for Elliot. And I don't remember. Uh, I'd be interested to see press if there was press from season one 
if Sam Esmail talked about why this place had significance. Was it just cool because there was a model of the city? Um, was this a place where he used to go? I don't know the answers to those things uh, from the previous mentions of the Queen's Museum. Uh, but it is, I think it's really cool to see just uh, the museum in and of itself and see this model and microcosm such that when Elliot uh, stands on the uh, on the loge level or just stands on uh, the breezeway over the model, and screams essentially to the entire city, uh, I'm sorry. You know, he's screaming, I'm sorry to everyone. Uh, I think that that's really resonant. I, I really liked uh, how that worked just from a staging standpoint, uh, watching Elliot loom over the entire city screaming, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Uh, I thought that was really, really powerful uh, and a really clever way to to do that, uh, considering the camera was in a very similar place uh, when we saw from behind Angela uh, young Angela calling him a butthead. I assume that was Angela uh, calling him a butthead. I see you, butthead. It, the camera's in almost the exact same spot. Uh, Not for nothing, for, the, the Beavis and Butthead wallet as well. Yeah, I, I knew by saying butthead a couple times I would summon it. So here we are. Uh, that's pretty cool. So yeah, I just... I, I think Elliot's sorry not just not just to himself. He's sorry for Angela. He's sorry for everything. And not only are we unlocking a lot of that, but I mean, the crying that Elliot's doing last episode and this episode... I think it has to be has to involve him processing everything that's happened with Darlene, everything that's happened with uh, Terrell, everything that's happened with Angela, all the things he hasn't really allowed himself to mourn or process. Um, it's coming crashing down on him at this point now uh, from throughout the decades. Uh, and I, I think it really, really well encapsulated with him screaming at the whole city. I'm sorry. There. Yeah, it's a cool image for sure. Uh, also a cool image, Dom taking a knife that was stabbed into her lung and using it to kill a member of the Dark Army and then shoot the other Dark Army people in the face, including Janice, with the gun that she gets from the guy that she stabbed with the knife that was in her lung. That was great. Oh, that was you're great. You're going to run into some lung trouble yourself there. Oh, yeah, that my was phenomenal. God. That was it so, was great. That was great. But it was the kind of thing where we talked about how uh, with last week's episode, I had like kind of lost track of the Shayla knife. Uh, and I, I was looking for like what's going to kill Vera in this moment. I wasn't able to put it together. I, I figured out uh, probably around the time that the phone call wasn't starting to go through that Dom was about to get the upper hand and the way she was going to get the upper hand was with the knife in her own chest. That that was a real Dom move, especially after uh, uh, not to say that a, a sub couldn't do it as well, uh, but it was a real it was a, <laughs> it, was, it, was a it was a real Dom move uh, where 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 she had already like said in the in the week before like she was ready to die right like kill me. And, and that way you could be free. Like uh, the fact that like pulling this knife out of her lung is going to put her life in more danger. That's not really going to hold her back in this moment from using the one weapon that's at her disposal. It's just about getting the right opening. Uh, so once the phone call started going south for Janice, it's like, oh, sweet. Janice is toast. Uh, Dom's going to pull this knife out of her chest and she's going to cause some damage. Uh, but even knowing that, like, it did not take away at all uh, from like the thrill and the the sheer satisfaction of the moment. Just the way that the scene was crafted. Uh, DDP is awesome. I I just love DDP. This is a, this is an incredible scene. Dom is not you. You don't think she's dead, right? I don't think so. I think like you would see her die. Uh, the fact that she, that we don't see her die, but uh, but I am also then left to wonder like what role can she possibly play in this moving forward? Because. Uh, I mean, I guess like Elliot miraculously recovered from getting hit by a car and then rolling down a hill and he's still able to to move around and do everything he's going to do. So with that logic, maybe in like five minutes, Dom is going to be all patched up and ready to go. Uh, but I, I have a hard time imagining what physically Dom is going to be able to contribute to the rest of the season. 
I think she's contributed the the key moment that she would have had to contribute for sure. Um, but I wonder if you think any of the stuff. So the Janice scene, of course, when we have Janice coming in, one of the first things she does to really turn the screw is she talks about how she knows that Dom watches the video, the interrogation video of Darlene and pleasures herself. And this is, of course, not something that Darlene was aware of. Uh, and she ultimately, Janice does expose that Darlene is willing to give up Elliot's location, to give up Elliot's location in order to save Dom's family. Now, it is a 13 to 1 kind of thing, and maybe Darlene just isn't feeling that destructive. On the other hand, uh, I think that there is some legitimate connection to Dom there. And what I do wonder is if by keeping her alive, we still leave room to explore that connection uh, and how that may ultimately end up. I think that's the possibility now that is super firmly on the table, uh, not just through everything that happened a couple of episodes ago with these characters, uh, but now everything uh, and certainly everything that happened in season three with the characters. Uh, but now everything that came out in this episode, I feel like recontextualizes that centers it uh, puts that front of mind uh, so that by the end of the episode uh, when Dom basically says go on without me uh, it is it is a go on without me moment that has some resonance with Darlene I should point out Darlene didn't give up everything obviously she didn't give up the, the heist she didn't give up where she thought Elliot might be she didn't give up all safe she didn't give up the things that she knows to be true beyond just Elliot's phone location but she was also I don't think aware that uh, that by giving up his phone location she wouldn't give up some of that stuff so I do think she displayed a willingness to put uh Dom's family over her own family. And I think that's a significant moment for Darlene. And I think representative of if Dom stays alive, even if not fully recovered by one week's time or whenever the season will end, I think there's a possibility that whatever the coda is, as you were talking about, if we have something like that in this season, it could now really bring Darlene and Dom together uh, in a way that I maybe think we weren't necessarily uh, believing would definitely happen at this point. Where are you on that? Yeah, I think so. I think so as well. One of the things that really struck me about um, Darlene doing what she does in this episode is it took me back to Councilman Jam. You know, and Tobias and and the conversation that she has there and what she unleashes upon him when she's like, you're right, I'm not all right. And she like explains all the reasons why. And he tells her, like, you have to take care of yourself. I know you're worried about your brother, but you got to take care of yourself. And Darlene has been reckoning with the damage that she's wreaked over the course of this series for a while now. And like the the lives that have been either damaged or lost because of what she's been involved in. And I think even in this moment, like even knowing like if she can hold tight and let Elliot stay alive and continue to, you know, complete the mission that that is going to potentially save billions of people in the future, right? Like that, that's the possible score here. Even in the face of that, she can't let like a family die because of her choice. She doesn't have that in her anymore. That marked a, a real sign of, uh, of character growth for me with, with Darlene. Uh, as it relates to Dom, of course, I think, you know, she has said like to, to Dom already that that night wasn't just like a one night stand for me. It was like the one nice thing that's happened to me in a long time. And you buy that to a degree. But I, but I also think that there's been so much that's been going on in Darlene's life that I have a hard time imagining that she's been spending like most of her waking hours thinking about Dom. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't really buy that. Uh, do I buy the possibility that there could be some future for the two of them together? Sure. Absolutely. But can I also buy the possibility that 
these are two people who are bonded by trauma, who are both making the choice to to do something right and do something good by each other, for each other, and for a greater good. I'm down with that too. Uh, I'm I'm open for wherever they will take this moving forward. But like, I'm not the kind of person who's watching the dynamic between these two characters and thinking like this now has to be like Dom Lean for life. Otherwise, I'm going to be unsatisfied. Uh, it can be as simple as like these two people mattered a lot to each other and in the face of something really terrible, they were able to like rise together, do something powerful together, and the story moves on from there. I like that version, and I'm sad that you call it Dom Lean now and not DDP. How well, far we have that is that is uh, from Ashley Atkinson herself, who plays Janice. Uh, I have an interview up with her over at the Hollywood Reporter. She, by the way, was a delight to speak with. Uh, Ashley Atkinson, fantastic, so much fun to talk to, and she has some really fun stories. Uh, not the least of which is that she was a huge Mr. Robot fan before she signed on for Mr. Robot. That's dope. Her husband is a huge Mr. Robot fan and like made Ashley Atkinson like you cannot tell me anything about the final season I do not want to know a single thing about your work do not come home and spoil a thing for me so she had to like live with all of this stuff as she came home because her husband is a super Mr. Robot fan uh, so she wasn't able to share any of those secrets back at home uh, she also told me that she had a, a initially auditioned for, for DDP uh, back in the day that she auditioned for Dom uh, she read for the part and she was like I have no idea how to access this character this character is not making sense to me and then she saw grace gummer on screen as dom she was like i get it i get the character now oh that's such a brilliant interpretation of the character and here she is all these years later a super mr robot fan getting killed by dominique di piero on screen pretty cool really fun journey so she talks a lot about that she talks about um some of her interpretation of the backstory for janice how uh you know how janice talks about how she got diagnosed and she's perfectly normal that everything is totally fine uh her interpretation (laughs) of that of course is that is not the case uh and her interpretation is janice was very much like the macaulay culkin in the good son who is able to like put on a really good front socially in the world bury those parts of themselves deep 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 down so as not to be detected by any uh, any professionals, uh, and that her parents were probably like, okay, so we just got like the super normal diagnosis, but we're not buying it. Let's just be cool. Let's just play it cool. Let's just let let's let's ride this out. She's gonna be eighteen. We can kick her out of the house, and then we can just always be like very very busy during the holidays, so that she can never come back again. Like <laughs> that's her interpretation of the character's backstory. Uh, so if you want to hear more of that stuff or read more about that stuff, I, I highly recommend thr.com/mrrobot will get you there. Uh, really fun interview with Ashley Atkinson. I was so thrilled to talk to her. And uh, her character, Janice, is a big fan of podcasts. So maybe yeah, Ashley that's Atkinson right. will hear this podcast. That's as right. Well. I hope so. I hope so. She was fantastic. I And she's she's having a great moment. She was fantastic in Black Klansman. Uh, I'm really excited to see everything else that comes from her in her career. She's a terrific actress. Sam Esmail seems to uh, do a very good job on this show, uh, pulling people into these roles and doing very well with them. The Dark Army reps especially have been very memorable. So uh, I do wonder, you know, Janice said earlier in the season, like, you can take me out, but there's just going to be more behind me. I wonder who else we're going to see now in this very short rest of the season. It sounds like we took a lot of Dark Army players off the board. Who's left? Uh, and will they make any impact on our intrepid characters? Uh, this was Janice was given the errand via and, and, and through 
to DDP to bring Elliot in. Clearly, that part has failed. The meeting is about to start. Uh, so what, what will White Rose's reaction be to all of this and who we will see? Will we see? I was wondering, um, if the he's been calling. I, I, I for a minute, uh, it didn't occur to me that it could have been the Irishman. Uh, it occurred to me that it might have been Irving. And so I wonder if there's room for Irving in this final season of Mr. Robot. Probably not. I think uh, probably not, right? Probably I, not, yeah. Other than, other than a cameo, other than something really quick, uh, I think that we've got... We've got a very small amount of uh, what do we have? We've got we've got four oh nine, four ten, four eleven. We've got five hours left, something like that, right? I don't think that there's any room for Irving. I I think that the the Dark Army sub bosses. I, I feel like I'm I'm comfortable thinking that we're done with those. And I think everything's Dom and sub with you this. Episode. I know. I I think it. I think it's. <laughs> I think it's time to move on to White Rose and time to move on to Edward Alderson. Like I think I think that those are the big threats that we got to face moving forward. And of course, we still have to untangle. Philip Price. Uh, I feel like poor Philip Price will probably get untangled himself oh. <laughs> relatively soon. Just at like the speed with which we've been fucking dry cleaning. You know, just at the speed with which we've been burning through characters and plot this season with only five hours left. You can't imagine that we've got a ton of Philip Price still on the board. No, it doesn't bode well for PP, for sure. Uh, this is not something... Uh, PP may not always pull through in this instance. I'm a little nervous for Philip Price, uh, but maybe he's got an Irishman at his disposal. Can we track this a little bit, just because we haven't really fully expounded upon it? Uh, Dom would have formed this plan sometime in the days prior to the days of moments, because I know it seems like crazy, but when we had the dialogue-free episode, the Dom plotline uh, involved her... Uh, seeing that the Irishman had been sprung from jail. Uh, and now we know uh, through his own dialogue that the Irishman, that Dom was responsible for that. Thank you for the technicality, he tells Janice uh, to pass on to Dom. So this is something that Dom was actively involved in without our knowledge. Uh, and so when we see the raid from her family's perspective, it is not the raid we think it is. It is not the Dark Army. Uh, good, the, 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 the De Pieros out there don't have to worry about splitting their dick holes, uh, as is quoted in the episode, um, they'll be okay. They're on their way to the safe house in part because of some plan that Dom has hatched, unbeknownst to us, the viewers, but that has been present throughout, including her getting the license plate numbers and the locations of the vans and everything. I loved the Irishman so much. Uh, <laughs> I, I, the movie I enjoyed. Uh, the Irishman, the character in this, I loved. Uh, I shot him in the brains. That's what we did. Like, <laughs> it was just great. Yeah, I think all of that tracks for me. One thing that I was thinking, like, did she solidify the plan while uh, while Darlene was unconscious in the bathtub? There's a there's a whole chunk of time that's missing there that she could have done some stuff in. Um, but I I think you're right that like he could have only been released if she had had the plan earlier. Like Dom is careful enough that she's not instituting any of this unless she feels pretty confident confident in in what's going on and as for why uh she would have uh darlene shoot her and kill her if she had this plan in effect anyway i view it as like an insurance policy like if if dom is dead and the family has been disappeared then there's just no way of finding them at that point like they're just going to be completely off the grid it's going to guarantee their safety and at this point she feels so guilty over having like betrayed the FBI or doing everything that she's done that she's just willing to take herself out of the equation at that point it's really no skin off her back if anything it's probably a relief to some degree well and the relief part is resonant to me because she says in that moment like i've been thinking about this every day 
Uh, and if there was a way to know that my family would be safe, I would do it. I'm not sure that she's confident at that point that the plan has come through. I think that it is only confident that she's only confident in that when she actually sees that the phone has rang that many times uh, and that it is the guy and she hears Janice's side of that conversation. That's the only time she know that the that a criminal actually followed through on his word. Right. Because clearly it was a quid pro quo. Uh, there was a quid pro quo here uh, that I'll free you on a technicality and then you got to do this thing for me. She probably has that conversation with him. Uh, shortly after we see him for the first time on screen when she's interrogating him earlier in the season uh, with that other agent. That is probably the moment where she hatches this plan. Uh, it's a couple days before Christmas, so it makes sense that it would take her a couple days to set it up, and then when he gets out, he's like, yep, it all worked out. So it is not until she hears that that she is able to take action. And by the way, as soon as that conversation is over, uh, she takes action, like immediately. So she's sort of been waiting for that confirmation, it seems like. And once she gets it, she is willing to die because she then knows her family is safe. And that's that. So it is, a, it is like you said, probably an insurance policy when at the end of their previous encounter with Darlene, when Janice first shows up, uh, DDP is pleading with Darlene right. to kill her. Um, but now she knows this, this actually came through. Uh, she can die or she can not die, but the, she can take these people out of the room, get Darlene out of it for sure. So that part is done. There was a piece of me that when Janice was like needling at the the connection between Dom and Darlene, were we going to pull the curtain back and find out that they did in fact have some history that we weren't aware of? And like my mind was starting to race of like, okay, I know that we had closed that door for ourselves and we had really been hip to that early on. Like you and I in season two were like, Dom and Darlene definitely know each other. They've got a history. Uh, and then most events seemed to suggest that that was not the case. Uh, and then this was happening and I was like, wait, could you go back and watch those scenes only to find out that they actually did have history together? I don't think so, right? Like, I think really what Janice is talking about is just like all the shit that they've been through on Mr. Robot, right? Like, there's there's nothing that predates Mr. Robot between the two of them. No, I don't think so, and I I think that's it, it is ultimately the at connection. this point that would be Jersey too Girls, much. Yeah, right? Jersey yeah. Girls. They, I know her is I know what she's like. I know her background. She's a lot like me. Uh, she is not the person who proposed to Dom and made Dom walk out of the back of a restaurant and decide that she didn't want to be a lawyer and decide to go join the FBI. Like that wasn't it. Um, this was some other person and we don't know who that person was. What we do know is that her mom thinks about that a lot and wants Dom to be happy and wants Dom to find someone. And her mom has been willing to even stick her neck out and go with Janice in that role. Uh, Janice says, despite think about that, think about who I I am, and then think about your mom overlooking all of that or not even being on the lookout for it. Uh, and that's where we are with this. So Dom's mom wanting that for Dom and that being part of Dom's story has been there uh, and it is there. And that does make me think there is a possibility for the Darlene connection going forward. But I don't think there's anything from the past for sure. Uh, that said, uh, you never know what can happen in the past. A lightning bolt uh, can strike uh, some limestone and we can create cement uh, and really cement some things. So we don't know. We don't know what might have happened uh, in the past that made Dom the way she is uh, that uh, that put her in the position. We only have a little bit of the backstory that she told, by the way, to White Rose. So we don't know ultimately what is or is not true uh, and what we will see. But I think we know that the Darlene part is not part of that. For sure. All right. Anything else from this episode, Antonio? 
I, I want to talk just a couple things about some of the references. We had um, a reference to Keith Haring uh, in the bo- the basement museum. Uh, Keith Haring, like a, just a famous pop artist in New York City in the 80s, um, one of uh, the notable uh, artists who expressed commentary about AIDS, uh, especially through a lot of his own work, uh, inspired a lot of social activism. Uh, so it makes sense, I think, that in the Queens Museum in the 90s, uh, there would be maybe some references to him. I don't know about the future primeval part of it all. Uh, I know that that is, uh, that is a book, uh, referencing his work and a connection to all that. What I don't know is if the, those two terms have anything, any significance in the show. Um, it made some sense to me, uh, or it was interesting on some level that when Elliot goes back into that basement later with young Elliot, uh, we have a really cool, uh, way that the scene is lit uh, with a beam of light shining down on another sign we had seen in that basement earlier that said tomorrow. Uh, the sign is even kind of remarked upon by Elliot. Oh, like that sign used to be over there. Uh, so Elliot brings our attention to it. The sign says tomorrow. A light is shining on it that says tomorrow. Any significance you think for the show in general? Uh, well, maybe as far as let's have some hope for tomorrow that, yeah. that, that we'll live to see it. That these care that some of them will at least uh, that hopefully at least Elliot and Darlene will uh, that that would be my hopeful interpretation of it. I uh, I hope so too. I don't know. I mean, we have or also that it's going to end with an Annie musical number is another possibility. <laughs> it's only a day away at this point. Uh, we have speculated that the eleven sixteen that we see on the clocks, uh, as others on Reddit have speculated. That the 1116 is 1116, uh, i.e. Uh, what would be about a week's time uh, from the end, uh, from where we are in the current dates of the show. And that maybe 1116 is somehow the last episode of the show. We don't really know. I mean, for all we know, we may not even get to tomorrow. It may end on 1226. So the tomorrow uh, could be a sign of hope that by the end of the series, there will be some hope. So we may, we may just do the rest of the series on Christmas Day. We really don't know at this point. Uh, I also really liked uh, on an unrelated note, speaking of USA series, uh, Janice sneaks that Blue Skies reference in yes, there again. Yes, once again. Yeah, characters are <laughs> welcome. Won't say it's all been blue skies. Uh, I thought that was really fun. Uh, obviously, less a little less on the nose uh, than what Santiago brings it up uh, earlier in the series, uh, but uh, definitely a reference that 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 in and of itself. I also really like speaking of the uh, the moments between Janice, Darlene, and DDP. The camera work whirling around that whole scene uh, when Janice is really turning the screws and saying you can't juice the orange when there's only rind left, and she is calling to ultimately ultimately uh take her take dark take dom's family out and she can't get a hold of the dark army people but as she's doing all this and threatening it the camera is just spinning around the room uh it's i thought that was really really well done uh just constant motion of the camera in that moment and i i felt it like i felt the tension mounting because we were winding ourselves into this uh just tautly uh wound coil uh and then it all comes uncoiled with the great moments i fucking killed him dear shot him in the brains shot him in the brains with guns (laughs) yeah Awesome. Because awesome. he says, I had to give him a bit of the holy show. And yeah. Janice is like, speak English. That was great. That was great. That was tremendous. It was tremendous. Oh, really, really good. Uh, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Ta-ta for now, you flange. I don't know what flange is. But yeah, I don't sure. want to do it. I don't want to look in. Yeah, I'm sure I just said something in a bad way. Yeah, word, I agree. Uh, in I another agree. thing. So. Oh, my God. Um, very fun there. Yeah. Uh, so I really liked it. Uh, yeah, I love the Irishman. Is that it? Is that We're not going to see the Irishman I don't again? think there's any reason to. I don't think so. 
Except uh, for that he's great, and that would be fun to see him again. Good good spinoff character, but uh, I, don't, I don't know that there's really any reason. Oh, to man. Was this a backdoor pilot? Like, are we going to get the Irishman disappearing people off the streets in, like a, uh, in an honest way, like fighting the Dark Army somehow? I don't know. Probably not. Uh, Probably but, not. <laughs> but you know, it's 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 that great hallmark of a, of a of a really good show that you can. And this is one of my favorite things about shows when they're at the end of their run, when they introduce a character really late into the run that feels so vivid and realized that you can imagine what they would have been like throughout the entire thing. Uh, but yet you only have them for like an episode or two. I'm even thinking about Bobby Cannavale who played uh, a character on Oz that only shows up in like the second to last episode, and it's just so realized and is so bright. Uh, uh, that you could only imagine like seasons of story stemming from this character, and yet he's only there for two episodes. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, the Sopranos with like one of the one of the the hitmen that shows up in in the last episode or two, uh, who who comes face to face with Phil Leotardo. Uh, like there's you know there's just like great shows that have this history of introducing a character really late in the run that you it makes you wish that there was just more story, and that's really the strength of that character. It's a testament to the to the creative juice that's still flowing through the veins of the series as it's on its way towards resting forever um, and and a, an indication that now is the right time to end it because you still do have that juice flowing through your veins. You want to go out while you still have some of that kicking around in you. Yeah, I love I love the idea that uh, everyone on this show has been so petrified by the Dark Army throughout. And the Irishman's like, yeah, yeah, I've heard it all before. Like, he has no time or care for the Dark Army. Like, he just tells Janice, uh, by the way, I looked up Flange, and I'm not happy that I said it. And I just said it again. So oh, this geez. is terrible. Oh, God, okay. uh, yeah, not great, Bob. Uh, but it's certainly nothing compared to what Darlene calls Janice in this episode. So here we are with that. One final thing I wanted to say, and I think you, you make a very good point about the Irishman uh, and wanting to see more of that uh there are there's always the possibility we will reset things in the show and see things that we didn't expect we would see again there maybe was a little hint of that uh again in the final scene here uh, elliot says you're nothing like my father that's why i created you you're the father i needed not the father i had and then mr robot's response to that is if i could have stopped him if i could go back in time and change everything that happened make it all go away and I'm left to wonder, like with considering we've got timeline resets and questions and back to the future and all of that, uh, is there a possibility that we, we invoke the White Rose timeline machine oh, or whatever it is? Uh, Elliot, though, I think answers that directly and says, then I wouldn't be me and I wouldn't have you. Yeah. So I think Elliot is even cognizant of the fact that resetting his timeline is not going to solve anything, that he is who he is. He does feel special. He knows that this is part of who he is. Uh, and yeah, it's going to be very tough for him to process but it sounds like even in that moment he's rejecting the possibility of going back in time and changing this yeah uh but will it be a different story faced with the like the potential reality of doing it you know like of actually like sitting in front of uh sitting in front of white rose and white rose like articulating how it could work uh I think still still TBD on that. Yeah, but, and they're on the same side, according to White Rose, which yeah. may or may not be true. Um, all right, well, before we close out here, Antonio, I want to take a quick second to thank our sponsors for this episode of the Mr. Robot Podcast, CBS All Access, with Kevin Williamson's Tell Me a Story, which we talked about a little bit on our most recent Mr. Robot episode. Uh, Antonio, favorite fairy tales as a kid? I, I listed what? some of mine. What, what were some of yeah. yours? I mean, I I really I want to say I like Peter Pan, but I'm not sure if it's a fairy tale, even if there's a fairy in it. Like I said, and do we count a Christmas Carol? Does a Christmas Carol kind of count oh, as a listen, fairy tale? 
the Christmas, a Christmas Carol is one of my favorite stories, period, all time. So if it counts, then that would be at the top of the list. I'm not sure it counts, but I mean, we can count it. I, I think the fairy tales that the, the show is talking at, this show is talking about are probably more of the lines of like the Sleeping Beauty, the Snow White. Uh, and those were ones that certainly I watched when I was a kid or I was aware of, but they weren't necessarily up on my list. You mentioned Rumpelstiltskin. That one resonates with me as well. Love the stilts. Yeah. Uh, all these fairy tales uh, could. You like could, to rumple a stiltskin? I, I love to rumple. Rumpel of Stiltskin. All of these fairy tales can can be a little dark, twisted, and that's what's going on with Kevin Williamson's Tell Me a Story. It takes the world's most well-known fairy tales and reimagines them as a dark and twisted psychological thriller. Right in the wheelhouse for us here on, on the Mr. Robot podcast. Right in our wheelhouse, for sure. Yeah. Dark and Twisted is our brand. There are no blue skies here. <laughs> no blue skies here at all. So it's streaming December 5th exclusively on CBS All Access. It stars Paul Wesley, who's best known for his role in The Vampire Diaries. Additional cast includes Carrie Ann Moss from The Matrix and Jessica Jones. Her fellow Jessica Jones alum, Ika Darville. Daniel Campbell from The Originals is part of it. Matt Loria, shout out to Friday Night Lights. Uh, really good cast involved in this. The season was shot on location in Nashville. So there's original music that's woven into the stories that you're not going to want to miss. So if that all sounds interesting to you, sign up today for CBS All Access by going to cbs.com slash post. You'll get your first week of CBS All Access for free and stream the new season of Tell Me a Story starting on December 5th. That's cbs.com slash post to get your first week of CBS All Access for free. Uh, as it pertains to Mr. Robot, Antonio, we are going to be back December 1st is our next episode of Mr. Robot 409 Conflict. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I afraid. I afraid. I'm a scared. I'm a fear of the conflict. Yeah, they're not great. I mean, what I assume will happen, at least on some level, as we talked about uh, earlier is that this is where Darlene will go, right? As soon as she leaves DDP's, uh, DDP's realm here and gets away from Dom, she's going to end up back where, uh, where she could find Elliot. And it has to be this all safe spot. Unless she goes right to the meet spot for the be across from the meeting, I think she'll probably swing by all safe first just to look for her brother. So she's going to find him, I would imagine. And when she finds him, what will happen? Like, are, is he going to bring up everything? Is it, is it all going to come spoil, you know, spilling out? I, I think he needs Darlene in this moment. I don't think he's going to be able to, uh, carry through with everything that's happening without Darlene. Uh, but there's going to be, I think, some kind of come to Jesus talk with Darlene. And will that create conflict? Um, will he blame her in some way? Uh, will she blame him? Uh, will she remember something? I think that is something we can certainly put on, uh, our, our, we haven't seen any of the suggestions. We don't watch the trailers, so we don't know what might be to come for next week. But that's something I think could be to come. Uh, what else do you think the conflict could be in this episode? Yeah, I think that we're going into the meat, right? Like, I think that this has to be it. This has to be the days group stuff. This has to be uh, the the attempt to, to rob them blind and shoot them in the heart. Um, and just given the timeline of where we are in the show right now. Um, and if that's the case... And it's 4.09, and this isn't going to end for a little while still. I can't imagine that it's going to go off without a hitch and there be the conflict. <sighs> I, I mean, I wanted to go off without a hitch, even though I, I obviously with five episodes left, as you point out, uh, we're going to have some conflict at some point. Uh, and certainly in an episode called Conflict, uh, then we're probably going to have it. But I would like it to be conflict resolution. Can it be that? That would be fine with me. That would be fine with me as well. Uh, but we'll be back next week. Uh, 
Antonio and I, we got to talk offline about uh, how holiday schedules may impact the recording of everything. But we'll have a podcast for you. It's just a matter of when exactly we're going to have that podcast. 409 Conflict coming your way, airing December 1st. And we'll be back sometime in the realm of that with our recap of the episode. Anything else, Antonio? No, uh, I'm I'm good. I'm <laughs> no, good. Uh, no. <laughs> Just I like mean, how you said that. No. Yeah, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I, know, I, I am too. I am too. If I if I get into what else, I'm worried about. Yeah. What's that? Uh, what's that? What's that? What's that? An Irishman at the end of all of this. Uh, uh, so. As they would say in a different fairy tale, think happy thoughts you know got we it. gotta we just gotta will some positivity upon mr robot there's been so much darkness lately that we gotta we gotta pray for things to for the for the sun to come out uh tomorrow uh we'll be back talking 409 conflict in the near future subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so already uh postshowrecaps.com slash mrrobot itunes for the apple feed but you can find us on your podcast app of choice ratings and reviews are greatly appreciated by you you can keep the conversation up with me me and Antonio. I'm on Twitter at Round Howard. He's at AC Mazzaro. How many Z's? How many R's? Two Z's, one R. Okay. And at Post Show Recaps is our Twitter account for Post Show Recaps. We'll be back soon with 409 Conflict. Until then, everybody, uh, for those celebrating, happy Turkey Day. For those who are not celebrating, happy life. Uh, we'll talk to you all again soon. Take care. Bye. Brooke Shanks.